Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor and subscribe to the John Conn Report wherever you get your podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, like button, subscribe button. You can find us there at Empire Media, A-M-P-I-R-E. It's always much appreciated when you choose to watch or listen to this show. Today, I'm joined by three of my fellow beat writers on the Commander's Beat. Matt Paris from the Washington Times, Pete Haley from NBC Sports Washington and the Washington Football Talk podcast, and Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. I wanted to bring on three of my colleagues who have been out there on a daily basis with me so they can share their insight from what they learned about the Commanders this summer and what they think going into the season. We have less than a week till the first game against Jacksonville, so I wanted to touch base with them on their expectations for the season. Areas of concern, Are they? do they believe this defense can be better? If not, why not? If so, why? what they think of the rookie class, and how this team fits right now going into the season in the NFC East. They all gave very good insight. They're going to tell you at the end of the episode where you can follow them on Twitter. Do me a favor. Please wait to the end and check them out and give them a follow. You can read my work, of course, on ESPN.com. I'll have a story up this week on Carson Wentz. He is a, he's, he's matured throughout the years. Will that be enough to help him on the field in Washington so he can regain the footing in his career and become a top half quarterback in the NFL again. Certainly Washington is optimistic. And I would, I will say, and I've talked about this before, Wentz feels very good about what he has going in Ashton in this area with the, with the team and also from a lifestyle. I think it fits him well. Will that matter? We're going to find out this year. Anyway, with all that said, I want to get to this episode because it was a good episode. I enjoyed the insight from my three colleagues. They're my young colleagues, but they're very smart and sharp. So I wanted to share that with you. So let's get to the conversation with Matthew Parrish from the Washington Times, Pete Haley from NBC Sports Washington, and Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to our podcast. There you go. Matt Paris. So now, Sam Fortier asked me to start recording this before he came on. So I'm going to see what bit he has in mind to to do this. So here comes Sam. This is always, all right, Sam, what's your bit? I set up some party lights because it's a party in here. Uh, oh, oh, look at that. 
Also, I, I figured that Kime needed some uh, YouTube views. So if we talk about it on the pod, people will be incentivized to look at the video. Thanks for coming on, Sam. Great start. <laughs> hey, but anyway, listen, I wanted to bring together the four youngest beat reporters that cover the commanders. So that's why we're all here. Um, I think we all, we're all about the same age, so we can just dispense of <laughs> that stuff. But I do want to bring you guys on just for some predictions, for some thoughts in the season. You guys are all obviously around the team every day. Great insight from each one of you guys. And if you're watching this, listen to it, go follow each one of them on, on Twitter, read their stuff. Matt Paris from Washington Times, Pierre Haley from NBC Sports Washington, Sam 48 from the Washington Post. So let's get started. And I want to get to, let's just go for season expectations. What after being around this team now, look at Sam. This is amazing. Now, if, you're, if you're not watching. I'm having so much fun right now, and we haven't Dude, even started. This, this is, is just exciting. I, I wanted to bring – I know Kime is a big club guy, so I wanted to bring his home court to the video, you yes. know? That got light is club, really bright. I've got some club shirts up in the closet. They may have a little bit of dust on them, but I do have some. I, I would say that just from the collected guests here, this is this is probably already the best episode of the John Kime Report I've I've ever been on. Not that it's a high bar, but I think it's there. Well, it is better when I have the other two with me there, Sam. Yes, it is. I agree. So anyway, <laughs> let's get to the season expectations before this goes off the rails. Pete, let's start with you. Yeah, so coming into training camp, uh, I was probably at the Commanders winning 10 games based on their schedule being easier, maybe some regression in terms of bad luck with health and players taking second and third year leaps. But after seeing the defense in preseason and training camp, the lack of depth in a lot of key spots, I have deducted that from 10 wins down to nine. And there's a chance I maybe go down to eight before the season starts. My optimism is going in the wrong direction. Um, I still think the schedule is a lot easier, but guys like Jamin Davis, Deami Brown, haven't seen a ton from. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm worried about the defense. I think the offense is going to be able to score, but I don't think it's going to be able to score enough. Do you not buy the what we're hearing is the communications different, et cetera, vanilla than preseason? You not buying that, or are you just skeptical? I I understand that there was probably a lack of game planning and vanilla defenses, and they're maybe trying to hide some stuff for the season. But it's the same guys, and sure that can lead to better continuity in communication. But to me, does communication matter before the snap? After the snap, you still need to make the plays. And I don't know if they have enough guys to make those plays, especially if uh, some of the starters go down. So they can talk and be as in sync as they want pre-snap. Post-snap, I still think there's going to be a lot of chain moving by the opponents. Matt, you still have me at 15 and 2? <laughs> I've upgraded it to 16 and 1, you know. Okay. Yeah, the, the one being they rest their starters week 18. Of course. You know, of just, course. just to get it. But uh, no, I agree with Pete. I would say I'm a little bit more bullish on the defense only because, one, I think they've looked really good in practice. I I don't know how much that will actually lead to the games, but they've looked better in practice than they have the preseason. So I've been kind of surprised at their preseason struggles. But also just kind of you look at where they were statistically, they should be able to bounce back in a lot of those categories. Like they're not going to be that bad on third down defense again. Um, you know, historically, a lot of teams kind of regress to the mean, you know, that they regressed heavily last year. They should bounce back this year and they'll probably regress again the following year. Like it's just kind of those are the way those things go. Um, but I'm a little bit more down on the offense. I, I don't know necessarily if the, the baseline I've kind of been using is 
will they be average or above average? And I don't know. It just feels like a 20th to 17th ranked offense. And if the defense doesn't make this incredible leap, what are they? Uh, but, you know, they did win seven games last year with Taylor Heineke and they have an easier schedule. So I, I do like the nine win uh, kind of projection, but I what's your know. concern with, what's your concern with the offense? Just Carson Wentz, you know, I think he's come along kind of stronger, especially after that August stadium practice. He's looked better since then, but just the consistency, he's a guy when he gets really hot, he's hot, but when he gets cold, he's cold. And, uh, you know, I just, there's just so many, I'm curious to see how many left-handed passes he throws this year. Because (laughs) In uh, Indianapolis, there was like a whole two minute highlight video of that. And I'm just, if he throws more than one, it's going to be a problem. And uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of interested to see where this goes. Club Sam? That's the number to watch, left-handed passes. But I think if you assume, like Matt said about regression on defense, if you think that Carson Wentz is going to be a roller coaster, but probably overall is like somewhere in the middle, I think average offense, average defense equals – nine wins for this team just because of how weak the schedule is. So to me, maybe eight wins, I could see that, but, but that is, I think, I think we're all in like the right range. I think there's a chance that this could go off the rails. Cause I think there always is a chance uh, with this team historically, but as of right now, I think like the most reasonable range of outcomes is like eight to 10 wins. Um, if you assume that, that both of these units, the defense gets better and uh, the offense stabilizes a little bit. And I'm in that same range as you guys. I, I think like Pete, I was at when the schedule came out in April, I, my bold prediction was 10 wins, which I don't know how bold that is, but that's the range they're in. So I'm in that eight to 10. I have concerns about defense and mostly with the depth in the secondary, especially a corner. If anything happens to the starters, I think there's a, there's quite a drop. And I think that's, that's a concern for me. Is Jamin Davis going to take that leap? Is the defensive line going to, you know, be a cohesive unit consistently. I'm more bullish on the offense than Matt is because of the talent they have around there. I love the fact that Curtis Samuel is healthy, concerned obviously with Robinson, because I think with Robinson, it changed that offense a little bit. Um, certainly gave more consistency running the ball. But so I'm in that same range. I, I think I could see, I think I'm more in that nine win range after, after the summer, only because like I could, would you guys be shocked if they if the defense actually played better? I don't think I would, but I want to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, the I, problem with this team is like we're all in that range, but none of us like if I said, "What would you feel better about uh, taking your range and de- deducting it by two or increasing it by two? I don't think there's like a crazy high ceiling for this team. I feel much more comfortable predicting a six win season than I would a twelve win season, and like. The defense, yeah, if it played better, I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know. I just think maybe with all these first rounders and these high profile names that they're just a little overvalued, like, you know, the first round D line that these national analysts, you know, Kimes buddies all like to talk about. Um, it, it, are they all that good? Are they all like you could be a first round pick and not be good at football? Like maybe right. Jamie Davis as a first rounder was a reach. Maybe Daron Payne and Montez Sweat, they're good players, not great. So, even if the defense has a better season, I don't think it's going to be this wrecking unit that we all had our uh, our hopes about a couple of years ago. I think they're going to be fine, and it's going to have to be an offensive-led team, which in and of itself is an issue because this team has wanted to be defensive-led, and it's not there. And to Pete's point, like I think that this – 
like like a team with a moderate ceiling, not a high ceiling, is kind of how they set this up. And that I think that's by pursuing Carson Wentz. That's by not drafting, you know, a Malik Willis. And I know that there's like a lot of, you know, very specific nuanced things about that. But when you go through the draft and you draft almost all seniors or redshirt seniors and guys that, you know, you can plug in right away, you know what they are, but they don't have the crazy high ceiling. I think this is kind of what you end up with. The, the question I have about the defense is how are they going to play? You know, the beginning of last season, they just tried to rush for most of the time and that they made some adjustments later in the season, but once they started blitzing more, they weren't necessarily effective at that. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure on Jack Del Rio to kind of come out uh, strong at the gate, same with Ron Rivera, but it's, if something isn't working, how soon are they going to adapt and stray away from that versus are they going to fall into this pattern again? And, you know, we've seen that a lot with Ron Rivera teams. They do start slow and they have to avoid that this year because you look at the schedule, Jags and Lions right off the bat. I mean, those are two winnable games. And I think that's a good point because that's been, we've seen that the last two years is there've been, adjustments made after those first three or four weeks, especially whether it was benching Dwayne Haskins a couple of years ago, get it convincing Landon Collins that no, it's not a linebacker. It's a hybrid, right? But putting him in a role that is more suited for him and the defense. And to your point, Matt, too, like they were more aggressive blitzing on third downs after a certain period. And they actually had applied better pressure in that. not overall, but on third downs, they were better with it. And then injuries and COVID and all that. So I'm curious if they can get back to that, if they will stay aggressive now that sweat is out there. Because part of the reason was it was James Smith Williams and Casey Tuhill. So you wanted to generate pressure. Will they still do that? Um, what what else for for the defense, you know, with that line? Are you guys, Sam, are you convinced that they can be that group? Or like Pete said, do you think it might just be a collection of names more than it is actual um production? When you saw the infighting on the line, obviously highlighted by the John Duran punch. Um, but I think that there, there was a lack of cohesion. And the question for me is, can Scanina come in? I know he's obviously been the assistant D-line coach, but can he get them to, to apply rush lane discipline to do some of those small things that Ron talked about? Ron always talks about the plays there to be made. It doesn't care who makes it. But can you get those guys to actually believe that, especially because John Allen's coming off a career year. He probably wants to sustain those numbers. Montez Sweat knows that he's not coming off a great year. He wants to prove that he's that dude again. I think Deron Payne has been, you know, pretty, uh, pretty good. And I know that, uh, you know, that punch between them was, was predicated on Deron not coming off the field when he was supposed to. But I think that all of those guys, uh, you know, have egos, want to make the money, want to show that they're those dudes. And, that's a really big challenge for Skinnina. And I think that's a large part of the reason Sam Mills isn't here anymore. So uh, I, I think, you know, it, it's a really big test for them. And to your point, to contract year for Deron Payne, that always messes with guys and he wants a big deal. And for Montez Sweat, that extension looms in the spring. So if you yeah. want that extension here, right, Pete, is that, is that, you're going to say that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to Sam's point about egos, there are four big egos on the Zoom screen right now, but we're all, you know, we're all, <laughs> trying to work towards a better goal and a, and a unified I effort. And I think and we're, I, doing, we're doing I, a great job. I apologize. I apologize for punching Sam last year too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've moved on. Uh, my, my thought on the D line, so much attention on what's going to happen across from Montez. When does Chase get back and who's going to hold it down in the meantime? But in doing that, I think we've forgotten a bit that Montez isn't 
a grade A Von Miller penciling down for 14 sacks a year guy. Like he has his own issues too. He needs to be durable. And it feels like his game so far has been all these tools that haven't uh, convened into this just awesome player yet. So even the player that we feel best about on the D-line, there are worries. And and I think the ego's point is a really good one in all seriousness because that D-line last year, it didn't feel like they all wanted to get together for the common good. They were all trying to rush on their own and go make the play. And I, they've made some changes. They've gotten some guys out. But still, the headliners are the same ones, and I'm and I'm stressed about their chemistry issues. And and elevating Scanina, I think, was a good idea, but will it be enough to override the other problems? I don't know. So this is supposed to be the bedrock of the team, and I don't feel all that great about it. But I was going to ask. I was going to say that Matt. I was going to ask you too about Sweat. Is this a year where he can get double or will he get double digit sacks? I I think so. I mean, I I kind of liked what I've seen in. Again, it's just training camp, but it does feel like he's in the backfield pretty consistently. Uh, he does seem to kind of go about – he recognizes the seriousness of this year, at least talking to us. I know he's a guy that doesn't necessarily say much to the press, but, uh, you know, he does have those tools. The question for me is what can Chase Young actually contribute once he's back? Right. I know it'll be a little bit, but he's still the number two pick from a few years ago. They've really tried to – kind of build this defense around him in a sense. Like when, when this team was clicking in 2020, it was because his game started to elevate at another level and it kind of unlocked the rest of the defense. Right. Can he get back to that? Again, we didn't see it last year. Just what are the expectations for him internally and how much are they actually counting on him this year to make that sort of leap? Because, you know, I think he's actually really important to what they do. The wait is almost over. A new football season is about to begin. Get ready for the NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving new customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action for opening night? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. Get up seven, you win! Bet on any NFL team of your choice, and if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KIME to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KIME, K-E-I-M, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Virginia only, bonus issued as free bets, one early win token issued at opt-in, Moneyline bets only deposit and wagering restrictions apply eligibility and terms at draftkings.com slash football terms if you or someone you know has a gambling problem call the virginia problem gambling helpline at 888-532-3500 let's switch to the offensive side of the ball because the offensive line i i have some concerns because we don't know we haven't seen andrew norwell chase Rui, and, and trey turner together on the field we don't we haven't seen trey turner really even working with the ones what, do you guys have concerns about that? I actually, let me say, I do like. I think the potential depth is pretty good because I think John Masco does a terrific job. But I do have questions slash concerns about how that about the starting interior group because of some of those things we haven't seen. Do you guys? It might be like my just overwhelming faith in Matsko, but. On our show with JP and Mitch, we ranked all the position groups after cuts, and I think we all had O-line, like three or four, and not necessarily because it's got 
these stars, but every one of the starters, if you know they're in sync, uh, can be pretty good. And I and I like the depth a lot. But if you want to be uh, concerned like you are, Kaim, I get it because with all the talk about Wentz and these receivers, I think this still is going to be an offense that wants to run the ball. That's how they were at their best a year ago on that four-game winning streak. And once they get Robinson back, they're going to have a lot of options back there. And then when it comes to Carson Wentz, he's a guy that at times needs to stand back there for a while and like to hold the ball. And if he's not getting rid of it quickly, that's going to put a lot of stress on this group. Uh, but despite those uh, things that are lingering in the back of my mind, I like the, the solid pros I have, Leno. Uh, on the left side, did well for himself. If Cosme can stay healthy, and then those interior guys, you're you're lucky to have a Schweitzer, Sadiq Charles. Big year for him if he can uh, contribute at an NFL level. But uh, the O line to me is one of the few spots on this roster where I'm kind of like, I believe in it. I'm okay with it. And my thing is more less concern, probably more questions about how that's going to look. Club Sam, yeah. what do you think? Uh, I was wondering how long it was going to take Pete to mention that he happens to be on another podcast. So I'm glad that I hit the under <laughs> on 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> Sam brought all the jokes today. He was ready for this one. I'm surprised he's not. Yeah, he's got some merchandise behind him too that he may hold up later. I'm wearing my own shirt. <laughs> um, I would say the Pete Pete's point about Carson Wentz is a really good one because while I believe in this unit, believe in Matsko, like like you guys have said. I think this is going to be a really tough test because the last two years, Washington's average depth of target, it's time to throw. Like those have been among the, the fewest in the league. They're getting the ball out and they're throwing it short, which, which helps make the offensive line look good. And I'm not saying that like they're not good, but it certainly makes them look even better. And I know they're really good in run blocking last year too, but Carson Wentz is a guy that as we saw on that third down sack in Kansas city, right? Like he, will try to extend the play. I think you're going to see the sack numbers go up. And I don't know if that will necessarily be an indictment on the offensive line. I don't know if I also totally believe the idea that sacks are a quarterback stat, but I mean, this is a, a pretty big test for them. Um, and so I think that the depth will be okay. Even if Trey Turner, who we haven't seen at all, doesn't play, I, I still believe in Wes Schweitzer and Sadiq like Charles as, as the depth. Um so I'm less concerned about him specifically, but I think the combination of things that you got this year um, is is going to be. I think I think their numbers numbers will look worse, but I don't know if that means they will play any worse. And I I, would, I think one thing that helps that line too, going back to you know protection, all that is Wentz does a pretty good job executing the play action fakes, and I think that that will help. But that that has to make they have to make those looks. The, resemble one another, right? The run pass looks by the line. So if they do that, I think his fakes will help. But yeah, I mean, he definitely holds the ball too long. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, this is, I mean, uh, I think one of the key differences too is Taylor Heineke also kind of held the ball long uh, last season. I think they were pretty close in a tenth of a second, like in terms of getting the ball out. They, you know, Carson once had one of the longest of holding the balls in the league and same with Heineke. And, but I think the difference between them is Heineke got out of the pocket a little bit more than Wentz right. does and can extend that plays that way. And that alleviates pressure off the O-line. So if Wentz is standing in there, will they regress that way? Because, you know, he's just taking, he's more susceptible to being hit. Um, I don't know, but I, I do think Norwell and Turner have played at a higher level in years past that, that there's still, I think they're they're not they're past their prime, but they're not faded or washed by any means. I think that'll help. I mean, I, and I you know I think Schweitzer is going to start over Turner, so it's really just Norwell what we're talking about. And 
Stephen Wino isn't on the spot, so I don't think we have. <laughs> it's not normal. <laughs> I I like Wes Schweitzer. I think he's a hell of a run blocker, and you know, I, in protection, you know, he's not his strength, but he's a really good run blocker. So I think that will help. The loss of Robinson for at least the first four games. What's the impact there, Pete? It's funny. It's like, oh no, we have to rely on the guy who got a thousand yards last year right. and scored double digit touchdowns and is like still super young and has all these amazing physical traits. But I understand the the uh, the backlash against Antonio Gibson because he can't hold on to the ball that well. Um, in the meantime, without Robinson, sure, it it does limit uh, the amount of things this backfield can do, and maybe. I liked the idea of having Robinson be your main running back, Gibson be the guy in space, and McKissick be the third and eight player, and you and you make one really fantastic running back out of those three guys. But I think Jonathan Williams can hold down the the Peyton Barber role from a couple years ago. Like it's going to look a lot like the backfield a couple years ago instead of this like futuristic kind of thing. But I think it can still work. Um, Williams getting five or six carries, Gibson being his regular self, and then McKissick being the space eater. So uh, running back is. My favorite position on this team now, is that great for a 2022 offense to be built around running backs? Probably not. But I think uh, for the first month or so while Robinson's on the mend, it's it's going to be still one of the strengths. Two yards in a cloud of dust. Hell Hate yeah. <laughs> but listen, I, I, and I think they missed Barber last year just or somebody like him for what he gave them. And I still think Antonio Gibson can be good, but it probably I think it's also the way they use him, but the way they use all those running backs. Club Sam, what are you expecting? Like, as far as the usage of the running backs, how do you see that unfolding? I think the Jonathan Williams as Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson as some hybrid of him last year and what they wanted from him in space before, um, you know, the Brian Robinson incident happened. And then J.D. McKissick and, and what he has been is probably a reasonable expectation. It is sort of amazing to me the clout of Peyton Barber that he is assuming yeah. us. And I know that when I know when we talk about Brian Robinson, we're talking about his role or what he symbolizes. Right. But like, but how often his name comes up versus his relative production that he had it's here is amazing. And and I know that this is a Ron Rivera thing. Like when he got here, it was Antonio Gibson is going to be Christian McCaffrey for, for a very brief time. But Christian McCaffrey's name came up a lot. You know, Cam Newton's name comes up a lot. Luke Keekley when they drafted Jamin Davis, John Whitaker signed. Fozzie Whitaker's name comes up all the Fozzie time. Fozzie Whitaker's name comes up. It's just amazing to me how much clout these like relative role players. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing because I know that's how they think of it. But right, it's just right. like we have talked about Peyton Barber so much for uh, how many carries did he have in Washington? How many yards? I don't I don't know. It's probably about two and a half yards a carry or so. Right. But I'm just saying it's amazing. <laughs> it's, sorry. It's amazing. And it is, I think it was more, for me, it was more the role that he played that they needed sure. more so than it was the actual guy. Um, right. But but you're right. He does. His name gets brought up an awful lot. And I, it also kind of suggests the, the problems they had in short yards. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I would kind of like to see them use J.D. McKissick a lot more than they did last year. You know, yeah, I don't think he'll get 100 targets again, like when Alex Smith was under center. But it you know, they really missed him down the stretch after he got hurt. I think getting those kind of chunk plays in having McKissick involved in the passing game, I think that'll help alleviate some of the the things you're missing with Robinson, even though they're different styles. I just, you know, you don't necessarily have to gain three to four yards on first down runs. I think there are other ways to gain yards. And so, you know, I know Ron Rivera would like to be this 
run physical team that kind of establishes at the line, but I, there are other ways to go about it. And so just because Brian Robinson isn't there doesn't mean they're doomed. And I think part of that is relying a little bit more on McKissick if you don't trust Gibson. Kime, Chris, I want to ask Russell, you. Hold on one second. Chris Russell was listening. And as soon as you said that, he just clicked off and threw his computer through a window when you said there are other ways on first down to get yards. So just <laughs> that sound you heard was probably his computer going through the window. So <laughs> I'm Kime. sorry, people, what were you going to say? Yeah, sorry. I want to just I want to return this to a serious football discussion. Is that okay by you? Um, like, so this is a question I've been I've been pondering, and I feel like an idiot for pondering it. But it's, imagine this offense is fully healthy, right? You have McLaurin, Samuel, Dotson, Sims, McKissick, Gibson, Robinson, Logan, Logan Cole Turner. Is it possible that there? And I can't believe I'm going to say these words. Are there too many weapons on this offense? Like, can Scott Turner get bogged down, or can this offense get bogged down? Of okay, let's. You know, who are we focusing on? Who are we getting the ball to? Like, it, it almost – or, like, not even, you know, too many weapons, but, like, it's going to – there's only one football to go well, around. And you can't use McKissick properly if you need to use Gibson properly. And then are they getting the most out of Samuel? And then there's Jahan. Like, it's it's fine. You'd rather it be this way than years past. But I'm thinking, like, they actually have a lot of guys. <laughs> and Sam – I'm going to – Sam, I'll let you go because you're, like, putting his hoodie – he's putting his hoodie over his head and all that because he clearly has something to say. But to your point – I think if they try to satisfy people versus running an offense, that's when you get in trouble. And if you're trying to like, oh, we've got to get this guy the ball because we haven't gotten it to him in a while, but it's got to be within the flow of the offense. It, it, this is because my Ohio State, right? When they won the national title in 2000, after 2000, 2014, they came back in 15 with a loaded offensive roster. But I felt like they spent too much of the season trying to keep everybody happy versus running their offense. And it led to not the kind of season they thought they would have. So that, and I don't, I'm not saying they're this team is stacked, but I do think yeah. there's enough talent like that. So I, I understand your point, Sam, you clearly want to say something. Next, raise the, your hand. Yeah. Okay. During the rebrand, should they have put Buckeyes on the Washington helmets because of their drafting? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, the Crimson no. Buckeyes. But, but seriously, I do agree with Pete. Like, I, I think that there is a legit, as, as crazy as it sounds. Right. No, like, you, you like have this to, is an offense that was like 28th in scoring last year, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, my God, they're just so loaded. <laughs> right. Like, but no, but if everyone's healthy, which obviously is the big caveat, like, how, how do you keep – J.D. McKissick involved, and I know that you want to put the offense over everything, um, over egos for sure, but, I mean, Scott Turner has is going to have options. And, and that, I think, to me, is sort of how do you then keep, every, keep everyone involved and how do you make sure that when you're running all these sorts of uh, motion and, and you're doing everything that Scott Turner does, how do you make sure that, that Carson Wentz is able to d distribute evenly? Because I know that's a big thing that Ron talks about, but if you have a better rapport with Jahan than someone else, like how do you not just go to that option every time? Right. Well, I like that Pete did one podcast with Ben and then he's mentioning Cam Sims ahead of Logan Thomas. That's <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Rubbed off on me. <laughs> I, think, I think Cam Sims is actually a, a good example of this though, because he was a guy that last year kind of got lost in the shuffle, even though they didn't have those options. Even, But, like, he's the type of target it, like that would be really useful in the red zone, and then they just necessarily don't uh, target him. And so, you know, just 
I think it's a lot, a lot of the things will come down to like situational awareness. Like if they are in the red zone, does Cam Sims come on the field? How often do they use Curtis Samuel in the backfield? I know we were talking about running backs earlier. Yeah. I think that's another way to offset it as well as to kind of sprinkle him in more, even using Dotson in that role in terms of jet motion and stuff. So they, they do have ways to be creative and you know, that that's what Scott Turner gets paid for. It's, you know, they, they do have a lot of weapons. Absolutely. And I think also like, would it shock anybody to see JD and Curtis Samuel in the backfield together or JD and Gibson in the backfield together? Cause they can do that too. Um, let's look at two more things. Rookie class. What are you expecting from that? Cause we've seen a lot of those guys throughout the class getting reps with the, with the ones, what are you expecting from them, Pete? I would expect, you know, I, I like the fact that they're all older, more mature and, and more reliable. And I think it's going to make this a more well-rounded team. And I think a guy at Fidarian Mathis's position might be overlooked because he's not going to necessarily be getting five or six sacks, but I think that could be the key is we're talking about this D line. That's the one thing they've at least tried to do differently is they got rid of Ionitis and settle who are more of the pass rusher guys. And they have Mathis who's going to occupy people up front. And perhaps that can be a way to unlock Jamin Davis a little more, help the D line out. So um, I, I was worried about the Dotson pick being too much of the safety. We just want a guy who can help us right now so we can keep our jobs and not fall apart. But the more I've seen him, I think he can be better than that. And it's Mathis and Robinson Jr. I think are, are two building blocks as well. So I like the draft class after seeing them way more than I thought I would. Bob Sam? Yeah, I think to Pete's point about keeping your jobs and, and not having everything fall apart, these, these guys kind of fit that description in kind. We've talked on past pods about what is success for this team. And I think it's, you know, competing for the division and making the playoffs and winning, you know, nine, 10 games. If you could do that this year and next year, like, that's success. So even though, you know, you're not taking on these developmental projects that one day could be superstars, if you are sort of in the same way that I think that competent, like when Ron Rivera was hired, I think his job was to reestablish competency and decency in the, in the organization. And I think that now the, the task on the football field is just to reestablish competency and, and competitiveness, not I don't think anyone's saying championship, but if you can say, hey, Washington's going to go into every game and be competitive, then I think that that would be a big step forward. And I think this draft class sort of raises the floor and, and accomplishes that goal. Yeah, I mean, bringing, like, you mentioned Mathis. Like, if he shows enough this year, that helps you, like, offset the loss of pain when he leaves in the right. agency, or if he does. And so, you know, as long as they can get contributors here and there, like, I'll praise Sammy here on the pod. I thought he had a really nice article. What was that last Aww. week? Two weeks ago about uh, Dotson's production. And like, you look at the numbers and maybe the baseline's like 600 yards, but those are 600 important yards. You know, like if he can manage that, you know, Washington was one of two teams last year to not have a receiver over 400 yards besides Terry, like, besides Terry McLaurin. So, um, it is just, can they find those steady contributions? And Dotson does look steady. And, and by the, the way, thing, and I know, one, go ahead. Sorry, I know we got, we're running out of time here, but the, and the one great mystery that would make this draft class explode is if Sam Howell turns into anything. And that's, that's for future episodes next year or the year after that. But if he can become a quarterback that you can rely on, then everything else becomes whatever. That's, that's the centerpiece. Pete Haley looking for easy clicks right there. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> But the one, the one thing I'll say about the rookie class, too, you know, we Percy Butler, Cole Turner. So there's guys throughout the class that could contribute this year. 
And it also leads to how does that help the team grow in the second half of the year as these guys get more experience? Another thing, um, last topic, how do they fit in the NFC East, Pete? So if you want to just go with that, there's not been a repeat winner since 2004, then you have some hope that it's going to be a, a close kind of Cowboys, Eagles, Washington. I still think they're definitely third. The Giants, perhaps there's a, a chance for them to really spike. You know, not like they had Urban Meyer last year, but a really bad coach who, who could have really been an anchor to that team's chances. But I still think they're clearly in the basement. And then Washington's going to have to get some luck. I think they're definitely inferior to Philly and Dallas. But uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if December games are meaningful. I think that's right. that's a baseline boring goal, but I think they can they can be a factor all the way down to the end. I don't think anyone's going to run away with it. Matt? I, I'm really high on the Eagles. Like, everyone else I kind of think they're gonna win the division and I, I do have questions about Dallas whether what does their offensive line look like are the receivers still gonna produce without um, Mario Cooper there and how long is Michael Gallupert um but yeah I still have Washington in the third spot and you know they, they won the division in 2020 largely because of what they did against the rest of the NFC East they're gonna need to be more competitive than they were against Dallas last year for instance so I do have questions, but, you know, uh, you can still be third in this division and maybe make the playoffs because of the 17 format for each conference. So that's kind of where I'm at. Sam? Yeah, and to echo, I, I'm pretty much in alignment with, with these guys. And I think one of the things that sticks out to me is how aggressive the Eagles have been uh, this offseason, not just in, in the draft, but also, you know, in most recently in trading for the cornerback from, from new Orleans. Like I know that the Eagles might have an easier time attracting free agents or getting the benefit of the doubt because they're seen as one of the smarter teams, one of the more analytically savvy teams. And they they've had success recently, but for them to, to have a problem, which is, is Jalen hurts the guy. And then to go out and basically load up the roster and say, if we don't succeed this year, then he is not the answer for them to help themselves answer their central questions like that's a very impressive move to be organizationally and something that like when, when you see Washington take a step back last year and you say, okay, how are they going to address this problem? And they don't do much in free agency and they add mostly, you know, you know, guys that will help, well, this year, which, which, is, which is fair, but it's just, Hey, like what, what is the long-term thinking here? I, I, I don't know, but I think that um, I saw Philly and, and Washington is pretty even headed into the offseason, maybe Washington even a little bit ahead once they got Wentz, because I thought Wentz had a higher upside than, than Jalen Hurts um, or a higher ceiling as of what we've seen. But I think the Eagles have certainly like pulled away um, just in expectations. Going into the season, they certainly – you'd have to look at that. I can see this team improving. I can see this team in the end. I, could, could I, I wouldn't be surprised if they won the division. Would you, anybody? No. 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 I, think it's, I think it's still close. But would you go into the season with them as the favorites? No, I think that would be too. I think there would be a lot to ask based on some moves, based on the past, et cetera. Um, last thing, tell people where they can find you, Pete, Matt, Sam. At Pete Haley, NBCS on Twitter. I'll be the millionth reporter to just simply plug a Twitter on a podcast, but come find me. And the Washington Football Talk podcast. Yes, that Matt. thing too. Thank you. There you go. I'm Matt. on Twitter at Sam. The number four, T-R-S-A-M, the number four, T-R.
And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthew underscore Paris, P-A-R-A-S. Are you going to get all your OnlyFans, Paris? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, uh, I'll just plug Rick Snyder's instead. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's when we have to end it on that note. So, guys, thanks a lot. These guys are all great. Please give them a follow. Read their stuff um, at their respective sites. And thanks for coming on, guys. Oh, this was really fun. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks, Enjoy guys. the club, Sam. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Matt, Pete, and Sam for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning with another episode as we inch closer to the season opener against Jacksonville. I'll talk to you next time.